Welcome to episode 60 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotist and founder of Online Hypnosis Now, James M. Vera. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. My next guest has a background and a degree in respiratory care with a specialist study area in EEG and seizures, and now helps people all around the world online using hypnosis. He also happens to be one of the busiest men I've ever spoken to, and whilst it's 10.30am for me at the time of this recording, it's 5.30am for him in order that he can fit this in. This is a conversation I've been very much looking forward to for quite some time, and on our past unrecorded conversations, it's become apparent that he has much to share in helping people see that rapid change can also be permanent. Welcome to the podcast, James M. Vera. Good morning, Howard. How are you? I'm really good, thank you, and it's great to have you here. It is fantastic uh, to be here. Well, really, as I said, looking forward to this conversation and hoping we can dive straight in. And you could tell me and our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and really how you got started. So my name is James M. Vera. Um, about uh, seven years ago, I started uh, OnlineHypnosisNow.com. And um, how I got started is, is just... Uh, such a, a, a weird events of synchronicity within my own life. And you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, that actual question, like how did this all come about? Because I certainly didn't expect it to, uh, to expand to the point where I was hypnotizing people worldwide and, and helping them with all types of problems from test taking anxiety to, to smoking and smoking was, we'll go back to that, but that was kind of, one of the one of the pushes being a respiratory therapist was to uh, to help people stop smoking. Um, but you know the the how did I get into this? I question it all the time, and I think one of the big things or impactful things in my life was um, I went to my own therapy through my own therapeutic process, um, which now I look back at most of it as a sham. Um, and I went through a 10-year period. And, you know, when we were first talking about doing this interview, I was thinking to myself, you know, that's a question that you always ask is, you know, how did you get into, into doing this type of rapid change work? And, um, you know, I thought about the flowery story that I could tell you <laughs> that is somewhat filled with truths. And then I thought, 
But if your podcast is really out there to help other change workers, <clears throat> then why wouldn't I just be really honest about, you know, my thoughts about some of this stuff? So um, I was in a, a marriage. I had lived in San Diego. I was in a marriage and, um, and uh, I began going to a therapist and seeing that therapist and seeing that therapist and seeing that therapist for the same issue over and over and over again. And I love the part where you always say talking about a problem consciously doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fix the problem. And the problem wasn't a problem. Uh, I think that if you probably put me in the history books, I was probably the longest patient a therapist, several therapists have ever had uh, in coming out of the closet. Now, it should not take, (laughs) it should not take a decade uh, for a person to come to terms with their own sexuality. Um, And it shouldn't take five years for the therapist to finally say, when you come forward and he says, yes, I know, and then sits silent. Um, But what's really interesting is my first experience with a psychologist was a guy in the late 70s who thought he was like Sigmund Freud. He had a pipe and a goatee. And it's my first experience ever with a therapist. I was 18 years old or around so around there. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) and he's sitting there and he says, well, what what do you think your problem? You know, what, what do you think your problem is? I said, well. I said, uh, I think I'm gay. This was at 18 years old. And he looked at me and he said, did you ever hear the song from Simon and Garfunkel called Slip Sliding Away? Hmm. I said, yeah. He said, that's you. (laughs) So I thought to myself, what the hell was that? And I'm slip sliding away because of that? So it totally threw me into a, into a, like a mental thing about it. And uh, I didn't see another therapist until I was, uh, you know, until I was much older. And, um, and then finally I went to therapy, I think around uh, 28 and by 30, uh, I was cured (laughs) and I knew who I was, but I I mean, it's just the fact that then I found this book in the middle of all this called The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. And he talked about the subconscious mind and that you could reprogram it. So I tested it and I doubled my salary. And I said, wow, if I could double my salary, what else could I do with my subconscious mind? And then that started unraveling, but that kind of got put to the back burner. And, uh, and then seven years ago or so, I read a book called The Aja Technique or something. It was about self-love, but it was written by a hypnotist. And... Um, and I said, you know, she's, she's correlating this hypnosis with this subconscious mind. Oh, my God, there's a connection. And I had never really made the connection prior to that. And I said, wow, that's a rapid way to reprogram the subconscious mind through this hypnosis. And then I met a woman. And the woman said to me, my respiratory travels. She, I said, oh, you stopped smoking. She said, oh, yeah, I stopped 20 years ago. She says, I uh, went into this uh, hypnotist's office. She said, I walked out in and I walked out and I never smoked again for 20 years. I said, oh, that's fantastic. I said, uh, that was hypnosis, right? She said, yeah. 
And I, I kind of chuckled. I said, wow, that really works. And she said, oh, my God. She said, I'm a firm believer in that. So uh, off I went home and I said, well, how can I become a hypnotist? This is, this is pretty interesting. So I, I Google it. How do you become a hypnotist? I met this woman uh, that worked for the, uh, that taught a, a, a program through an organization, uh, through the NGH, actually. It was a standardized program through them. And uh, her name was Barbara and uh, Barbara Her, and she uh, in Guilford, Connecticut. And she, she taught me so much in such a short period of time that I was actually ready and able to, you know, go out and what I thought be a change worker. And, um, <laughs> and when I look back at what I knew at patient number one and what I now <laughs> experience, uh, you know, I was caught in script gnosis and everything else. And, and what's really interesting about it is that client number one um, was the worst smoker, the worst smoker that you could ever get. It was my first paying client. And the person who was subletting me some space in her office didn't want him as a hypnotist. Uh, so she said, here, you could, you know, she threw me a bone, so to speak. And uh, the guy comes in, he's got a leather jacket on. He smells like a tobacco factory. And I said to him, um, how much do you smoke? And he said, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? He says, well, he said, I gave up after four packs counting. And he said, so I roll my own cigarettes. And he said, so the way that I smoke, I really don't know how many cigarettes I'm smoking. Yeah. So I said, oh, well, that's, that's very interesting. And I'm thinking in my head, really? And this is going to happen today, right? Um, and, uh, and so I said to him to be funny, he said, I smoke all the time. And, you know, so now I know a little NLP. I think I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be very creative with him. And I say, you smoke all the time? even in the shower. And he looks at me dead square in the eye, Howard. And he says, absolutely. Even in the shower. And I, <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you put a towel on the back of the toilet and that keeps one hand dry at all times. And the other hand can wash you while you're exchanging your cigarette from hand to hand. Wow. And, uh, I was just amazed. I said, well, you know, like, this is crazy. Like, why would you, um, why would you want to give up? Uh, why would you want to give up uh, smoking now? And um, he said, "Well, he said uh, tomorrow we're burying my brother. He died of lung cancer." And I said, "Oh well, you know we have." A, <laughs> I'm thinking in my head, big motivating factor. Okay, uh, the good news is is that I keep in touch with him. He doesn't know he he's never known he was client number one, <clears throat> but I do keep in touch with him, and he's still a non-smoker. And I read him a script. Um, but luckily, I have a broadcasting background, and uh, I was able to animate the script a little bit. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, um, so when people put down scripts, <clears throat> yes, I'm not a big fan of you know one size fits all and reading from a script. But certainly, uh, I've helped people in the beginning uh, reading those scripts. So that's kind of like how I got how I got into all this, and uh, just decided to get certified and see what I could do and uh, never realized you could do it over Skype and zoom and all these places. I know there's controversy about it. What if someone goes into ab reaction, which I, I, I have actually had someone uh, do that one time. 
Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I think about the hundreds and hundreds of people in these remote places that I've been able to help, uh, which is absolutely incredible. Well, I, I love I love hearing all of this and how you've kind of moved from uh, the work you were doing and discovered this thing and this kind of self journey is kind of cool. And, and, and towards the end of that, you were talking about this this reading scripts, and there is a lot of controversy <coughs> in the industry and a lot of debate around you know um, the use of scripts. Uh, and what, what, what's your take on it all? Uh, are they a useful endeavor? Are they uh, do they have a part to play? I think they definitely have a part to play. But I think it's like anything else. I mean, it's a crutch, right? And if you continue to lean on it, I think that it, it, that that's where it becomes the problem because you're really not understanding what the words mean. You're just reading words off of a paper. And then because I'm very intuitive, because I've always been very empathic, um, I think you need to be able to read the person um, and not just read words from a paper that are filled with a lack of emotion or whatever. Um, I think that uh, sometimes if you have a client and you write stuff up ahead of time um, because you know, oh, I don't want to forget this or I don't want to forget that. For the most part, though, the things that flow, and I love I love uh, the way Mandel, Mike Mandel teaches um, a lot of this about dumping the scripts because once you start learning the words, once you start learning how to use the magic of the words, I think at that point, the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind, that's a whole other controversy, which term to use, but nonetheless, the other part of us can be reprogrammed. Um, but that has to be done, um, with some finesse, if you will, or, uh, you know, intuitiveness, I think. So no, I I think that just reading from scripts and I think that programs that teach, oh, just read this to a person, just read this, and then they're going to go into hypnosis and then just read this and they're going to change. I think that's that literal script reading is where yeah. people get really, really screwed up. But I'll tell you, sometimes I still have some old scripts um, that I that I refer to, but I kind of intertwine that. I uh, you know Sometimes I'll sit with the deck of cards that Mike Mandel just put out. Uh, just because they have such great power words on them. And as I'm in hypnosis and, or as they're in hypnosis, I'm thumbing through the cards and I'm saying, and you know, Oh, there's one. Oh yes. And really, really install. And I mean, really install, you know, and I can go off on that tangent for mm. a while. So I think using cues and other things to remind yourself of, of different um, techniques that you want to use are, are very good. I, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I, I share your take on that. Um, I, I don't know whether I've talked about this on the podcast before, but uh, and people that have scrolled down and have followed me on Rapid Change Matters podcast feed will know that I can do a Rubik's Cube fairly quickly, uh, actually in just under a minute. Um, and it, wow. was, it was on my bucket list of like, I want to be able to do a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> you know, I don't know why it was lodged in there. So I went on YouTube, <coughs> looked up some tutorials, and they talked about, there's what you call algorithms that you can learn, which literally teach you like step by step what to do and how to turn in a particular sequence so that you can complete the cube. And so I sat for the first, uh, you know, probably my month each night, just like 
just following the instructions. And then I, I completed my first cube, but I really had no idea how I'd done it. I had no idea how I'd actually completed it. It's just I followed the instructions. I just did it. But yet the cube was still complete. But in terms of getting better and getting faster, what I noticed was the more that I followed the algorithm algorithms, I got to a point where I could then memorize the algorithms. And then suddenly it was like, oh, I could see beyond what the algorithms were doing. Oh, that's what it's doing. When it says move up, I'm just moving it out of position. And then I'm slotting that in. So it fits. Oh, I get it. And it was only from doing that repeatedly and becoming very familiar with what could be done that I began to develop some freedom to play around with it in the way that I wanted to. And I kind of think of scripts myself in that, that kind of way. So it can be useful. But, you know, if, if the goal is to read a script and get the result um, or that the goal is to read the script, then I don't think that makes you necessarily a, a wonderful therapist because you could get the result and still go, well, I don't know how I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that it's good to have a, a deeper understanding of what's going on. Nevertheless, Absolutely. there are some amazing scripts out there which, you know, combined with understanding can help. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, I think that's, it's, it's kind of cool to, to hear your thoughts uh, about that. To tell me on the rapid change, uh, the rapid fire round, and by the way, if anyone's going, what's the rapid fire round, scroll down under this episode, you'll see it. Um, but I really love the answer to this question. I asked you as, your, as the very first question, what's the worst advice currently being given out within the world of change work? And I loved your answer, especially because this is the Rapid Change Matters podcast. <laughs> and I do attract a lot of people who kind of go, well, he must be after talking to the people who go in and get the one session wonder fixes and so on. So can you remind us what you said? Uh, yeah, I, I said that I think that the worst advice being given is that somebody's going to walk into my office and instantly be changed in one visit. They're going to just walk in and I'm going to just wave a magic wand and say, poof, no longer smoke. Thank you for your money. So, so James, why is, do you think that is the worst advice? Like what's the downside? What's the dangers of doing that? Well, the dangers is, is, is um, <laughs> when it doesn't happen <laughs> on the first visit, the danger is that, you know, there's no continuum after that. It's just like, oh, that didn't work. So it gives hypnosis a, an entirely bad rap. Um, although I often chuckle that client number one that I told you about uh, that's still not smoking, <clears throat> I thought that's how it was that you only saw somebody for one visit when I first started. <clears throat> and uh, I did these onesies. I didn't do like now. I've, I I don't mandate a certain amount of visits, but I do have programs now where I say you know within three visits um, because that to me is rapid. You know. And if we have to go beyond that because of flexibility and because rapid for another uh, client might mean six sessions, I don't think I've ever actually gone beyond six sessions with anyone. Um, and uh, so I just don't believe in the you know, come three times a week. Obviously, after what I went through for a decade uh, with my own therapeutic journey. Um, by the way, you know, I didn't end the part of that story. The part of the end of the story is that I ended up going to a, a psychiatrist for a medicine review for depression uh, in the midst of all of this. And he had seen me five years prior 
And um, I can't believe I, I left this part of the story off because it's almost the most fantastic part of it. Because this is where rapid change happened. After 10 years, this is where rapid change happened. He sat across the, the table from me and he said, why are you here? I said, well, um, you know, I'm still seeing, you know, the other therapist, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he looks at the paper and he says, oh, and um, you're not still having the same issue, are you? And I looked at him and I said, yes. He goes, you're still married? I said, yes. He goes, so why are you here? I was like, because he thinks I need medicine or whatever. I don't know why I'm here. And he said, all of a sudden he starts getting angry. Like really physically, like, like his face is turning red and his veins are sticking out. And he starts saying to me, well, why don't you just come out? what is your problem? And he like completely loses it. And he goes, and he swore and he goes, why don't you fucking just come out? Even Ellen DeGeneres has come out. And I said, I, I, I have to go. And I, I put my coat on and I left. And of course I was in my car and I was emotional. And I thought to myself, as I'm driving, I'm looking at the ocean in San Diego and I'm driving and I'm saying to myself, you know, He's right. He's absolutely right. And so that's rapid change was the shock of this dude telling me, like, what is your problem? And he, of course, called, apologized, was concerned about lawsuits, was calling my therapist. He realized he had lost it. But the point was, is he did me the biggest favor of my life is because that should have happened 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, or 10 years prior. So um, anyways. I don't know, but I, I, I was, I, I mean, I think we, we started talking about that. And the question was about the worst advice currently being given out. Which yeah. Is, so that, so there's the rapid, there's the rapid change right there was, that's why I came up with that part is the rapid change happened. Boom. Like that. But do I think it always happens like that? No. I often think that sometimes people take more than one visit, never more than one with smoking though, as far as I'm concerned. If you come to me, that's the day you stop. I used to do the stop some point within the three visit program thing. And uh, that was not effective. And uh, I just now say that day you come is the day you're no longer going to smoke. And then maybe we'll do a follow-up visit after that. But other than that, I don't mess with that. So just to play devil's advocate, um, which is there are people who kind of, you could argue, rely on expectation. And they worry that mm-hmm. if we say, well, hold on a second, if we're saying, you know, well, you know, it could take two or three. I never say it's just, you know, one session fix or whatever, that that opens it up to be slower than it need be. Is that your experience? With smokers, I'm very, very blunt and very um, hard line with smokers. And, and because of that, my success rate is really good. Um, with other issues we really don't know how long that's going to take um and um you know i also through my um my consultation phone call that's when the session begins for me is when i start speaking with them on the phone because i'm already future pacing them into this problem going away rapidly and i tell them that i believe problems can go away rapidly and i also define what i think rapidly is and i often say to them Sometimes rapid is, is the first visit. 
and other times rapid is by the third visit. And I'm not quite sure if your problem will be gone after the first visit or after the third visit, you see. So I'm already playing with it before they, they've even come. I've already planted those seeds, so to speak. I, I, I really like it. And I like the idea that, that rapid, I don't think rapid is a fixed thing. Right. You know, um, and I think it should is dependent and i've said it so many times on the podcast but i will say it again because i think it's worth it it, which is my take on rapid is uh, as quick as it can be done but which doesn't mean quicker than it can be done and it also doesn't mean slower than it can be done you know right and and i think the other thing i pre-frame with them all the time is about Mm self-hypnosis and and the fact that this isn't i'm laying a foundation for you to show you that you've always had this ability and um, that the idea is to not create a dependency upon the hypnotist, but the idea is to realize that you have this ability yourself. So I'm always pre-framing that, like, don't, don't think you're going to come here, do this for three times, and then every time you have a hangnail, call me back up. Um, the idea is that you should be, and I teach them when they, when they are coming, when they do come to my office, I do teach them how to put themselves into trance. On the second visit, I teach them a, a quick uh, way to go into trance. And uh, I actually have them, with some guidance on my end, put themselves into a trance. And then I do my own little testing as, as uh, we go through. And then after they come back, I always say to them, now see, you actually created that trance by putting yourself in. And you can do this anytime you choose. So now I do the post-hypnotic suggestion. Um, just before they leave. And I'll tell you, I get these people, they're like, I can't believe how deep I go. I go almost as deep as, as you put me, you know, and that kind of stuff. So um, I really do believe in, in giving the empowerment to the client. I, I, I think self-responsibility is, is so important and, and so cool, but interesting because you've used the word trance and in the rapid fire round, you talked about trance being a continuum. There's no beginning, there's no end. So that's correct. How do you kind of marry those two ideas together that you're teaching them to go into trance would imply that to them almost that there's a beginning, there's an end. So. Well, well, because, because the the prior conversation, I do discuss the fact that we're all in and out of trances all day long. Hmm. However, sometimes we have to block out some of the distractions and get into that purposely that focused state of concentration purposely sort of a cousin to meditation or mm-hmm. a cousin to yoga. And instead of clearing your mind, you're actually giving your mind instruction. So almost as though <clears throat> whilst they're always in trance, uh, a, a trance, they're not always in the same trance. There's trance exactly. for doing learning. There's trances for doing different tasks. So, you know, and I tell them that they're in a smoking trance. Like when, when they, when they come to me, I'm like, Right now, you know, you don't, you don't believe that these trances may happen, but you're in one that tells you that you need to relax with, um, a, a, you know, a, a very hot burning stick in your mouth burning your throat. Well, I, I know you highly recommended the, uh, the, the book Monsters and Magical Sticks by Stephen Heller. And again, that's a, a hugely important read for me and my own development as well. Uh, and one of the moments where I started to think of myself more as someone who dehypnotizes people out of the trances they're in rather than someone that hypnotizes them into something. Right. Breaking, breaking one trance and creating another or uh, getting back to the mind being plastic and that neuroplasticity 
and sometimes I'll even draw a diagram for them and create a model and say, you know, right now you have one neural pathway, and because I have a somewhat of a background in neurology with EEG, I explain to them about brain waves and, and how the mind is plastic, and you can create new neural pathways through repetition, and that they had to work with a smoker, for example, or even an anxiety person, you know, you have to work really hard at using your imagination to create those feelings. You can use that same imagination to create the opposite. I like the idea of using imagination to create and deconstructing it to uncreate things that aren't useful. Um, one, one thought that I, I have, and I'd love to, to talk to you about it and chat with you, is do you find, and it's something that I've noticed uh, in my own client work, sometimes people come back or they ring up and we talk you know, from one session to the next, they're getting on, and they almost have very binary view of what we've been trying to do. So they'll kind of go, wow, Howard, it either worked or it didn't work. Right. And I'll kind of, I kind of laugh because I've heard this before. They go, it didn't work. And I'll go, well, you know, let's say I, I do a lot of fear of flying stuff and I'll say, Oh, well, it, it didn't work. Okay. Let, well, let's, let's talk about it. Like what happened is, well, you know, I was fine all the way up. To, to getting on the plane and boarding and then we even took off and then we we hit a little bit of turbulence and i felt anxious and i thought well it hasn't worked and i have to go and remind them that like in the first session they told me literally that they are anxious and worried six months prior to the flight they're not sleeping properly they're not eating properly they're you know they can't pack they can't drive to an airport but no no you know, they got on the plane, they took off, they just had a bit of turbulence, felt a little anxiety. But instead of going, wow, look how far I've come, they have this knee-jerk binary kind of, it either it's either worked or it didn't work. So I was wondering whether that's something that you can relate to, whether it's something that you found, and whether you've got any ways of dealing with that. Um, <laughs> absolutely. I, I have had that issue many, many times where people will come and say, you know, it didn't work. And then you do deconstruct everything for them and then say, well, wait a minute. Before you told me you couldn't even get on an airplane. Before that, you told me you couldn't even buy a ticket. And, and then they kind of, you know, look at you or if you're, if you're face-to-face, you know, they look at you and they go, oh, yeah. Well, now that you mentioned that, you know, um, I've had a couple of complete resistors, obviously. And, and, you know, I'm not in this business to convince anyone that things work. You know, and, and I will tell them that uh, if it become if it, and I've only had one person who's an engineer uh, and he slipped through after a consultation and hindsight being 2020, there were flags prior to. Um, and nonetheless, that's that's the way he was. Is I had done all kinds of things during the session. Convincers. I had him open his eyes. I had his arm like steel. He couldn't bend his arm. I mean, I did all kinds of things. And afterwards you know, he comes out of it and he says, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think I really was hypnotized and I don't think this is working. And, you know, at that point, I mean, how much more time am I going to spend? I, I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it, it's just <laughs> something that I, I've been playing around with, uh, because I've noticed it, you know, this kind of, yeah, I, I deconstruct. I mean, that's all I can do is, is to point out. And oftentimes when I start the next session, um, before they even begin to speak, I'll say, oh, so, you know, we haven't seen each other in a week. Um, tell me uh, all the positive things that have happened to you uh, 
as a result of coming here over the, over the past week. So I kind of pre-frame it so they can't start out with what didn't work. Yeah. And, and I think that's really where my, my question is pointing towards, which is, have you got any kind of thoughts and advice about how you kind of head off the, the seeing things as binary without implying that it's going to take a long time either? Because if you know the danger is if you start out on session one and say, well, listen, you know, you mustn't be there expecting a total cure. It's a process. It takes time and so on. That would really frame very nicely, wouldn't it? The fact that it's not binary. Um, but then again, right. but then again, it also doesn't leave room for the. Yeah, possible. it also kind of frames that you're going to give them more time. And exactly. So I, I really like the line about, you know, the idea here is to change as rapidly as as you feel comfortable. And at the same time, realize that you're the one that's doing the changing. So really the ultimate decision on how quickly this happens is between you and your unconscious mind. So I put the onus on them. Yeah. This is because otherwise if you get into this, it didn't work thing, then that means I didn't do something right. Although there's an it like the, it didn't work. Like you right. didn't, it didn't work, didn't but sometimes it properly. <laughs> but sometimes that it becomes you. Yeah. And, and, and so that's where I start to, you know, reel it in quickly. And, and, you know, um, I love your, um, your guest, uh, I believe it was, uh, Luke Michael Howard, mm-hmm. right? Luke Michael Howard. Yeah. So he, uh, I love his line and I use it often now. He said, uh, you, know, you can even either, you know, tell me your story and walk out of this office with your story, or you could uh, walk out with results. Um, the choice is yours, you know, and uh, I've said that and gotten phenomenal results from people because they go, hmm. I say, you've been to psychologists, you've been to psychiatrists, you're telling your story constantly. How's that working for you? Oh, well, it hasn't. You know, I say, well, I'm an example. I've did my own therapeutic process for 10 years. Um, I was told by a, a therapist one time, I think you're over-therapized. I never even heard the word. <laughs> I was like, therapized? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and how, how much of our work, uh, you know, certainly in initial sessions, are uh, kind of trying to unpick the, the preconceptions they have about what they think therapy should be? Right. You know. And I, I spend an awful lot of time on how quickly, you know, one of the examples I use all the time with rapid changes, I say, you know, somebody will come in here, they will see a horrific accident and they will say, my life has changed forever. I'll never be the same person because of this accident or whatever. And I say, and isn't it interesting that when a person comes in here with the fear of flying or anxiety or, or uh, smoking or whatever, that you or some other client may not um, believe that you could walk out of here changed in one session. So why does the mind think that you can change for the negative in one horrific moment, but in a positive moment, you can't have that same uh, magical moment where you change your life forever and become a non-smoke. I love it. And just throwing that subtle, yeah, I'm just constantly planting embedded those. commands at the end. Constantly <laughs> change forever. Become a non-smoker. Love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I, I'm I'm curious because you know, look, you work uh, for people that uh, maybe um, 
as, as I read it through the introduction very quickly for you, we talked about the fact that you do a lot of work online with people all around the world. You have a brand, um, a website, um, which is online hypnosis now. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm curious, what are the challenges that working with people online um, creates? I know there are people sometimes that kind of say things like, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to work online with people. What happens if something goes wrong or heaven forbid they get stuck in a trance and, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, what, what have you found from having done this for a while? Well, I mean, my thoughts are a couple of different ways on it. One, one of, you know, it can be, um, I mean, I've done it over the, over the phone with, um, not being able to see the person. That's very unnerving. It's like driving a car with a blindfold on, but at the same time, if you think about pre-recorded hypnosis, right? Pre-recorded hypnosis is all over YouTube and everywhere else. People put themselves into a situation where they're comfortable and safe and, and all these things. And now, you know, I don't know, do people abreact when they listen to a YouTube video or can they abreact? I mean, I, I really don't, I really don't know. But when I put it in those terms to myself, I'm thinking, well, you know, I can't do any, any worse than a recording. Um, I can do is better. Uh, because it's more personalized, actually. And if I do see something, whereas a recording can't back somebody out of a situation, if I do see something that, you know, I'll say, okay, return back, to, you know, end that scene, you know, Jerry Kine, end that scene and, and return back to your breathing. Um, and um, that's all I've ever had to really do. Uh, I did have one situation, um, which was absolutely terrifying, I will agree, um, but it was, a, it was waters that I had gotten myself into that were too deep that I knew that I was getting into. Uh, I had this client from Nevada here in, in the United States ask me if I could help his brother in Pakistan and um, because I had helped his daughter with test-taking anxiety. And uh, the brother had uh, some kind of severe anxiety. And, um, but he was telling me some things about it, and I should have like there were red flags in that conversation, but I said, you know what? Because I kind of felt obligated to him that he was really, really a great client to work with because his daughter had seen me, you know, several times for different things. And uh, I said, you know, it was sort of a favor thing, you know, would you please, you know, see my brother. And, uh, and I did. And um, immediately when the guy got on the zoom video, I thought, Oh my God, this poor soul, he's disheveled. And, and I knew he was an engineer, but that's not what I was looking at on the other side. So there were physical signs right off the bat that maybe I should not go forward. Um, and I even talked to him about that. I said, you know, I don't know that you're in a good way right now. And, you know, he's seeing therapists and psychiatrists and other things over there too. So it wasn't like he wasn't being medically supervised. And uh, we started uh, to work. And the minute we went into the induction uh, he started having these verbal things. I don't even know what they were. Um, and um, so uh, his wife came over and uh, I de-escalated the situation immediately ended it within like, I I'm telling you all this transpired in about three to four minutes. It was over in three to four minutes. And I just said, you know, I don't think I can help you. And, um, and he, and, and I said, I, it's not that I don't think hypnosis can help you. It's just that I'm not sure that right now, you know, where you're at, this is a great thing to be, to be doing. And I, and I just kind of got out of it, but that's the, really the only time. And, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, I had a kid from Israel that was having major meltdowns for his medical school exams, uh, within two sessions, bang, boom, done. 
uh, phenomenal results. I mean, I, I've seen those types of things, smokers all over the world. Uh, so as far as the ab reaction stuff goes, I don't really focus on it because trance, like if we're all in and out of these states all the time anyways, and you can do it on a recording or you can do it driving down the highway. I mean, I, I'm not doing regression. I don't do uh, any kind of major regression over, over online. If some people feel comfortable with that, that's fine. Um, but, but I don't do major regression work. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I, I think people sometimes are wary of, of the online stuff. But I thought what you said was just so cool because you're right. You know, the, some people will shy away from an online, something online, but they'll happily sell re- hypnosis recordings. Mm-hmm. Download. Aren't you worried about them ab reacting in their house and yeah. off your recording? Yeah. I also think this whole thing of ab reactions and what really is an ab reaction. I mean, yes. that they're having an emotional response to something right. very heightened. And um, you can, and you can break the state, right? Simply by, you know, I, I love what um, Mike says, have them stand up, Mike Mendel, stand them up, have them derivate their eyes back and forth, you know, and most of that, you know, yes, you're not in the room with them, but most of it you can do right online. Go ahead, stand up, open your eyes. You know, you can start changing the state from where you are. Yeah. I think, I think there are a lot of therapists who are, uh, maybe it's the training, I don't know, um, but become fearful of abreactions. Yeah, I, I don't, under, I, I don't. Abreactions implies abnormal. I mean, sometimes people just have reactions. I, I wouldn't even call them abreactions. They're just reactions and we, we utilize what they're giving us. Right. You know, uh, maybe, maybe yeah, oversimplifying things. I don't yeah, know. I, I, I don't know. Probably somebody could... Uh, debate with both of us, but I'm glad I'm we're, sure. we're both on the kind of same page about it. I just, um, like I said, for the, for the one or two times that that's going to happen over a hypnotist career, I mean, unless you're really regressing people and, and trying to create have reactions in people, I mean, you could also be going in that direction if it's happening too much to you, I guess. But uh, no, I, I focus on the other, on the other side of it. I mean, the important question that we all need to know is if they have a good experience with you, do you term it a fab reaction? <laughs> an absolute, an ab fab reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me go into my Patsy Stone. <laughs> I, I, I will save the listeners from that. Don't you worry. Uh, James, t- t- tell me, um, have you got any, a couple of stories uh, additionally that you'd like to share with us around rapid change? People that have come in one way, they've left. It's been fairly swift and permanent. Yes, I actually, um, I love this one because, uh, well, I have, I have several actually, but I mean, one of my favorites is this uh, guy calls me up and he says um, that he can't, um, that he can't eat in, uh, in public with other people. And, um, and I said, well, what happens when you eat in public with other people? I said, like, you're talking, he goes, no, with anybody, like in a cafeteria, at a nice restaurant, he's like, I have to eat alone. And I said, well, what happens if you, if you don't eat alone? And he says, my throat closes and I begin to um, choke. And uh, it's like people have gotten up and given me the Heimlich maneuver because my throat has closed and I begin this, this you know, it starts building with anxiety and then I can feel my throat closing and um, on and on. So I said, well, have you ever been checked medically? You know, obviously, it's always my first question, especially with a medical background. I always want to make sure that, you know, 
other things aren't mm. an issue physically. And uh, he says, no, no, I've been checked out and, you know, they don't swallow tests on me and all these things and endoscopies and I'm, I'm fine except when I get around eating in public. So I said, okay. So, and ironically he had been to another hypnotist for three sessions um, close by. And, um, and so I said, okay, uh, well, why me? You know, like, why do you think that the change is going to happen differently with me if it didn't happen with, with this previous uh, hypnotist? And he said, well, I don't know, but uh, I just have a really good feeling that, you know, you can help me. I said, okay, well, that's, that it always starts out with, with a good feeling. So let's, let's go with that. So he comes in, we do the, the first uh, session and uh, I, you know, went through this whole thing about, you know, could, could happen today. And I said, well, when are you going to test it out? That's what I said to him. He said, um, well, I have a date coming up. This was after our first visit. He said, I have a date coming up uh, tonight. And he said, I want to, you know, that'll be the true tell sign. Either the date ends or it doesn't. So I said, okay, if that's the way you want to do it, that's great. Let's do it that way. So we did the first session. And uh, he comes back the second week. I didn't follow up with him purposely because I was waiting to see if, if he would text me and, and let me know how he did because I invited him to do that. And he didn't. So I said, oh, this is going to be interesting. So the second week he comes back and I said, so how did that go? You know, how did your, your meal go with your date? He said, oh, her mother got sick and we couldn't go. And I said, oh, I said, he said, but I feel very confident that I could go into a restaurant at any time. I said, okay, that's great. So we do the second session. I reinforce a lot of stuff. We mirrored back some things we had talked about, blah, blah, blah. And um, so after he opens his eyes, I said, um, okay, so he was my last client actually of the day. And I did that purposely. So I said to him, um, okay, so let's go grab a bite to eat. And he like looked at me and he goes, what? I was like, well, come on. I don't just do this just to do it. I want to see you eat a meal like across from me at a table. As a matter of fact, I'll buy. And um, he had made several references to him being a cheap frugal bachelor. So that was kind of like, I saw his face light up. He goes, oh, well, you know, it's going to be like two o'clock now and I'm meeting her at five. So I don't know if I want to eat with you. I was like, okay. I was like, I just want you to know that I believe that, you know, this, this works and you'll be fine. And he said, okay, okay. And he went off on his date uh, from the table. He texted me and said, um, I've just eaten an entire rack of ribs. I'm having a wonderful time uh, on my date. And um, my only concern is um, now I have all these restaurants I want to try. and It's going to end up costing me a lot of money. And, um, and so we saw each other for a follow-up uh, visit after that. And he, he was so like lit up with his face when he came back. He's like, I can date again. I can yeah. eat with my family at holidays. I mean, he was going off on all these things that he could now do. And I just thought, this shit is amazing. <laughs> and I get that. I, seven years later, I mean, I'm new compared to most of the people out there that you know, have invented all these different techniques and all these things. I've just gestalted everybody's techniques that I've learned uh, over time, whether it's you know, the arrow technique from, from, um, from uh, Anthony Jacqueline or you know, uh, I'm sorry, from Freddie and um, Freddie Jacklin's uh, aero technique. Um, any of those techniques, they all work when they're appropriate and when you can kind of mold them into, into what you want. And 
have I come up with my own idea of some super powerful method that I could write a book on? Probably not at this point, but I can tell you I've gotten some awesome training. There are some awesome, awesome people out there. And if you just kind of follow what they do and use it with your own personality, you just bring magic to the table. I mean, you really do. I I love it. I love it. Uh, And I love hearing stories like that. And it's what what excites me about the stuff that, you know, I, I know we've spoken. I think you've got a, a, a background as an amateur magician. Oh, when I was a kid, I had magic by Jimmy, and my slogan yeah. was party time, dinner time, anytime. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's still my slogan, but it, it takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, you know, I, I, I have a background as a magician because I was attracted to the idea that there was real magic in the world, but somehow magic always seemed to be slightly disappointing. There was always a trick. Whereas this is the stuff where it really feels like it's the real magic. And that's why, you know, some people who knew me when I was a magician, they go, and Howard, you know what, now you're a hypnotist, you're a therapist, you're a change worker. Like, how did you stop doing the magic? And I go, I never stopped. (laughs) Absolutely. I did kids parties. Uh, That's how I started as a magician. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going to a magic shop and it was all about how many tricks I could get through in a fifth, like in a, in a half an hour show show. Like Mm -hmm. if I really go quick, I can probably get through a whole 15, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you watch really good kids entertainers, they don't do many tricks. You know, it's all the, it's all the stuff that goes with it. It's the build up. Yeah. The build up, the banter, the, uh, the warming up, you know, and uh, yeah, that that was that was a kind of a big learning for me. That oh, hang on a second, it's not about the magic, right? It's not about the, the the show. It's everything that comes before it. And you know, I think arguably, and I have spoken about this with people on the podcast before, but I have a kind of a real bugbear about demos that get done on trainings, and that you know, people will go, oh wow, I saw a demo on a training and it happened, and in just fifteen minutes. That person had the most incredible transformation using that one technique. Hold on a second. It wasn't just the 15 minutes. It wasn't. Right. You, you're, because people are then forgetting about context. The context is, first of all, this is someone who paid to be on the course. They also have a psychological invested interest in showing it working, unless it's a totally live cold client who's never been there. All right. But, um, but if they're doing a demo on an audience member, then that, that's, that's the case. Um, and also we're now three days in to a training. So they've already spent two days going in and out of trance of, uh, doing that kind of work, visualizing the, the, the trainers had however many hours of doing metaphors of doing stuff. So that's, it kind of oils the wheel of the 15 minutes. Right. But then there's also this part of me because I've seen many of those trainings. It's like, Oh yes, that's right. Yes. I, I'm not afraid of rats anymore. But I mean, did we follow up with them in six months and throw a rat in their kitchen and see if they still have the same reaction? I mean, that was great during the demonstration, but, um, oh yes, that's fine. I, I, I'm not scared of rats anymore. Uh, but, but to me, there's not a whole lot of substance because are you afraid of rats in six months? That's what I really want to know. Like when I, when I email the guy once a year, my, my client one, just for my own ha-has to see if he's still a non-smoker. And I don't come right out and ask him. It's usually a Merry Christmas type of message. And he says, yes, I, you know, I'm still doing great, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, 
No, I, I like to know later on. And, and I'm not great all the time with follow-up. Uh, I have to admit that, uh, you know, I don't have a survey monkey uh, type program that I use. Uh, I like to get it to that point, three, six, and 12-month follow-ups. I really would like to get it to that. I'm not, I'm ashamed to say I'm not that organized at this point with uh, given my schedule. Yeah. But I, I think it's uh, <clears throat> having the intention to do it is important. And I think, you know, I mean, even just the fact that you, you, you keep going back to someone year, year in, year out, you know, you want to know that this stuff is not just quick, but it, it lasts. And I think it's important. So tell me if people are, are listening in and that they want to know where they can get hold of you, how they can contact you, where can they go? How can they get in touch? Um, I have a Facebook page, Miracles Hypnosis Center uh, on Facebook. Uh, of course, my website which is uh, onlinehypnosisnow.com. And um, there's also the email at my website, which is james at onlinehypnosisnow.com. Fantastic. Well, as you know, we're going to put the links underneath this episode. And as someone uh, who I know uh, listens to this podcast, as well as now appearing on it, you know <laughs> what my final question is going to be. But no pressure. But the question is always a nice open one, which is, listen, when, I, when we talked about you coming on the Rapid Change Matters podcast, um, is there anything that you thought would come up that you'd like to share, but that I just haven't asked directly? I don't know, Howard. You and I are pretty thorough. So I think, uh, I think we've kind of gone over, uh, gone over everything. I made myself a little bit vulnerable in the interview because I think it's important uh, for you know, people that are trained um, psychologists and psychiatrists that are listening to kind of find a balance um, with, uh, you know, with, with this. I, I think I, I heard a therapist recently once say that was in a training with me that um, uh, he's a psychologist and he said, you know, the, the hypnosis, adding hypnosis to my practice is wonderful. It just, the only downside is now I have to go find more clients all the time. <laughs> so I'll end with that. I love it. Well, thank you, James. Really appreciate your time this morning, and especially given the uh, the hour that it is for him as we record this. And I'm quite impressed that he has not, to my knowledge, been sipping coffee as we've been going. So uh, that's inc- incredibly impressive stuff. And uh, yeah, th- thank you again for, for your time today. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Yes, absolutely, Howard, and uh, I'll keep listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did... Why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.